0: In Strava's case we got the same thing. You guys are a hobby, you're a niche, you're you know you're just trying to serve cyclists. And we kept trying to explain to people, look, that is a go to market strategy. We're going to go an inch wide, mile deep with this one group. But if we do that right, that will give us the leverage to expand more effectively. It'll give us the confidence and the credibility to expand and so our vision is to support a global community of athletes across lots of activities and countries and, you know, types of individuals, but we have to start somewhere. So I would just remind entrepreneurs, it's okay if you're niche, it's much better because you can develop traction there.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today's guest is Mark Ganey. Mark is the currently the chairman and co-founder of Strava, a billion dollar social network for athletes with over 100 million active users and growing one to two million users every single month he co-founded the company in 2009 with michael horvath and the firm is headquartered in san francisco and supports customers in over 180 countries in this episode we discuss drava's origin story and how it got its name we talk about the early days of the company and learn about their interesting growth strategy and how they got their first customers also we speak about the founder mindset and what it takes to build an enduring company the inch-wide, mile-deep strategy, effective daily routines, the power of exercise, and much more. This one was particularly exciting for me since I've been an avid user of Strava myself, and we really got into the weeds on Strava's story and all the ups and downs involved as well. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on all platforms. It helps bring more content like this to your ears and helps us engage in insightful conversations so you can keep learning and being better every day. So with that, I hope you enjoy this insightful conversation with Mark Ganey. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, Barry, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, So we're going to get into the most important question of all. I think the most important thing that I wanted to figure out is, Why Strava and where did the name Strava come from?
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, the the name part is pretty easy. The name part, uh, is Swedish. It means to strive for, uh, my co-founder is, uh, has Swedish, deep Swedish roots, families from Sweden. He's Swedish. Uh, and actually he and I had founded another company decades ago, frankly, in in the last century, that also had a Swedish name. Uh, We pronounced it Kana, uh, although that's not actually the correct pronunciation, but that had been very good to us. So when we came back to sort of thinking about a name for this company, we liked the Swedish roots, we had liked the luck, and frankly, we liked the short domain name. So that was the reason behind the name. Uh, The reason behind the company is a little longer, but uh, it's equally fun.
1: yeah, the name was, I, I sort of knew the name and I think that was cool using to strive. Uh, and, you know, with sort of the roots of Strava, it's, it's an interesting story to say the least. And I know that there is not a lot of people, I know a lot of friends of mine who use Strava actively. But when I tell them a little bit about the origins of Strava from what I've read and from what I've heard from you, it is interesting and to see how it's grown over such a, to, uh, on a global level, but also, you know, under the types of activities that you're able to do and, and all those things. So I think for maybe all the listeners out there who have used Strava, who are using Strava, I I am an avid cyclist. I have a lot of cyclist friends and runners. Uh, Why don't we sort of just go back to a bit of the early days and figure out what happened sort of along your journey and, and something, uh, that sort of, uh, how you met your co-founder as well, uh, yeah. to, to understand a little bit about the roots of the, the Strava story to, and we can start there.
0: Yeah, no, happy to. So, so you're right. In order to tell the Strava story, you have to go back, uh, and again, I'm going to make myself sound like a dinosaur, but many decades, you have to go back to the 1980s, uh, which is where and when I met my co-founder michael horvath who's you know my best friend and has been so for 30 plus years we met while rowing on the crew team at harvard in the late 80s uh, and had this sort of transformational experience you know it, you're pretty i mean first off to go to harvard we were really lucky to be on the crew team you know one of the few you know really great teams that they come out of a place like harvard but just all the history and the and the uh, camaraderie and the esprit de corps and, you know working out of that boathouse it was really, it was fantastic. In fact, I always argue that I should have a degree that says crew, because frankly, I spent way more time in the boathouse than I did you know, any classroom. The only problem was we graduated and that whole experience disappeared for both of us. Uh, Michael went off, he got his PhD in economics and started teaching at Stanford. And I took a job working for an investment firm out in California, out in the Palo Alto area, the Bay area. And you know, within just a few short years, I had this itch to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start something. And I also had this itch for the good old days of hanging out with my teammates and training partners. And, uh, you know, a very long story short, in the 1995, we tried to launch what was Strava, although it was called Kana Sports at the time, it had a different name. We tried to launch this virtual locker room on this new thing called the internet circa 1995, and, you know, the short version of it was that idea was a little ahead of its time. Uh, the good news was we, we found a different opportunity in the midst of starting that first one, and, and so we did build a great company called Kana Communications and had a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's what taught us how much fun, frankly, and, and challenge comes from being an entrepreneur and, start and starting companies. So then you have to fast forward to uh, 2006, 2007, 2008, Michael and I are getting the itch to start something again. We start brainstorming ideas and we looked at a lot of different ideas, but ultimately we did come back to the virtual locker room, to this idea of bringing our friends together to help us train and stay active. And, uh, you know, the thesis was really simple. The thesis was number one, when I'm active, I'm a better person. I'm a better coworker. I'm a better parent. I'm a better student. I'm a better partner. Um, So, hey, let's stay active. The other thing we learned was staying active is really hard. Uh, and so having teammates, having friends who can kind of share that journey with you is we've, we we often joke at Strava, people keep people active. So how do we keep people connected in a way they can do that? And that was the genesis for Strava circa 2008. Um, and thankfully the times had changed, right? The, uh, the advent of GPS devices and smartphones and frankly, social networks these were now all in existence and kind of changed consumer behavior in a way that we could much easier build that, that virtual locker room, right? That, that place on the internet where people could share their activities.
1: With, uh, with Strava sort of going back, because you mentioned you met your co-founder at Harvard and you also were able to identify something that you wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily a solution to a problem yet, but it was fi- it was figuring out okay well how do you stay active, and I think there's a lot of folks out there who are saying well you know I need to come up with the next idea or the next problem to solve, but it doesn't necessarily have to work out that sort of way. I think you just found that there was an area that you enjoyed, which was activity, exercise, fitness, and there was that niche, and you didn't. I'm sure back then you didn't even know. How big this could be. This was just something between you and your buddy that you wanted to do. How, how crazy does it like in hindsight with 2020 hindsight? How does that make you feel? Uh, with so many people using Strava now.
0: Yeah. No, you're right, Barry. It's, uh, look, I, I, I am honored. Uh, you know, often my best days are when I run into somebody who, uh, is using Strava and, and gives me a great story around. You know what it's done for them, or or just uh, you know the enjoyment that they get out of it using it. You know each day or each week, and it has. It's it's far exceeded my expectations in terms of, you know, when when we started out. You know, there's a group of five or six of us, and uh, you know we we felt like, well, let's build a product that'll keep us active. And you know, Michael and I used to joke, if we're the only two customers, but it keeps us fit, then that's probably a pretty good solution. Um, but you know, going back, given that you know, entrepreneurs are listening to you and I you're right you know i i was really fortunate when i was working for the investment firm i learned something really valuable because at the time so i was a kid out of college working for this firm i I did one thing for them and i what it was was i called companies all day long i dialed for deals and the beauty of doing that is that you get to talk to entrepreneurs all day long and what i learned two really great lessons number one from the investors solve problems exactly what you're saying can you identify opportunities or problems in the marketplace Because if you do, even if you're a startup, people will listen to you if you're truly solving something. The other thing, though, that I learned from the entrepreneurs was, you know, you might as well pursue something you're genuinely interested in. Because you're going to be doing this seven days a week, 365 days a year. You're not going to make a lot of money. You might as well be something that you enjoy. So even back in the 1990s, I was desperate to try to find some problem related to sports or fitness or outdoor activity and, uh, you know, it, it, led to another journey with Kana, but with Strava, I think you're right. We found that sweet spot. We found that thing that we were genuinely passionate about, uh, but was, was a need in the marketplace. Maybe not a hard and fast problem with an ROI behind it, but the more that we grew it and more people joined, the more you realized, oh yeah, no, this, this benefits my life. It's a good thing. And that's, uh, that's been exciting to see as we've gone.
1: And you speak to an interesting point. I was speaking to a founder, uh, you know, one of the previous podcasts that I did, and he was telling me about his startup and different space, but it was a startup nonetheless. And he was telling me about the long hours, the amount of effort that it takes to build a company, because no one in their right mind would put them through that much suffering and pain for maybe a little bit of reward at the beginning and not knowing the, where this could take them. So there's definitely a, uh, it's a, there is definitely a passion in there. And also a lot of, uh, um, you know, persistence, but it is, you know, tough. And I think a lot of people just don't understand. Or when you are someone who wants to go through and build a company, you see it gets romanticized a little bit. I would say the startup world where they realize, well, it's cool being a founder. I can put on my LinkedIn profile and have a title of CEO, but that's only a part of it. And a lot of it is like, well, getting to the ground. You mentioned calling people up, going out seeing if you can get some sort of product market fit i i'd like to sort of sort of see understand a little bit about the brainstorming process because when you did when you and michael figured out that there was something there with regards to oh maybe this is a thing it seems to be working for the both of us i like to use it you know you like to use it what was that brainstorming process like did were you yeah. guys like you know, you went onto a whiteboard and you just hashed it out, yeah, like a, a brainstorming session, or were you just at a cafe talking about it? And then and how did the brainstorming process transition into execution? Because I think there's a lot of people who have this great idea and they're, you know, it's great on paper, but they just don't have the motivation or the 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 willingness to take action to actually implement that. So how did you move between those stages, if that makes sense.
0: You know, Barry, one thing, and, and you you, you triggered in my brain when you talk about sort of how they romanticize entrepreneurship. I often refer, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm both an endurance athlete and an entrepreneur, because I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. And you start to appreciate what we call type two fun, right? In the moment, it's just not very fun. Like it's its a grind. But then you finish, you're like, you, you forget all the bad stuff and you enjoy And I think that's a lot of what entrepreneurship is. It's like, can you grind? Can you great? Can you persevere? through a lot of pain and suffering and then lo and behold you forget one day and you have that one win whether it's you know a small win just a customer says yes uh or an investor says yes and, and you're you're on cloud nine so but, I, but I maybe really let quickly it.
1: going back to that let's quickly identify for those who don't know what type one and type two fun is maybe you want sure. to just give a definition of the difference because i do i understand uh the the differences but maybe for those who are not too aware what's the difference between type yeah. one and type two fun
0: i think type one one fun is the one everyone's familiar with we, we go out on a, on a saturday night we go to the movie theater and we're 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 having fun we're enjoying the movie we're watching it or we're having a nice meal that's that's type one that's the one we're all familiar with type two fun is you're you're running a marathon you're at mile 21 you are in pain, you are suffering. You don't think you can come, you can even finish, but somehow you just kind of grind it through, even if you crawl across that finish line. And about three hours later, actually probably a day later, you're like, that was fun. Like that was great. And, and in the moment, no, it was horrible. But uh, when you finish it in a weird way, you're ready to go sign up for your next one. And that's, I think that in some ways that's entrepreneurship, right? It's often, um, it's, it can be lonely it's, uh, it, there's just a lot of sort of dark moments as you're trying to sort of, you know, overcome everything from, uh, your own insecurities to, uh, a lot of self-doubt to people saying no to you a lot. Uh, you gotta have a thick skin. Uh, and that's the type two fun I'm describing. And so if you can get used to that, I do think there's tremendous benefits to entrepreneurship. you know, you said it earlier. I mean, just, you know, the fact that I control what time I wake up in the morning and what I'm going to do with my day is something that, uh um, that I've always appreciated. So, so that's, yeah, that's the cool. why behind doing it. You know, back to your brainstorming. Yeah, we can walk through the process that Michael and I went through, and I think for everybody it's a little bit different. But there were some, there were some good things there.
1: Yeah, I think the that the type one and type two fun is just really important for people to understand. Is that yeah, there is definitely suffering in there, and then you get this this sort of like this, you're riding this wave. Of ups and downs, but at the end of the day, you know you, there's a lot of suffering in between. But then the reward uh, really shows for itself, and it is a big reward when everything comes together. And I think a lot of uh, founders can resonate with that.
0: That's right, and, and and you often find reward in the strangest places. It's not like everybody has to you know take a company public or, or somehow sell it to make it you know hit their exit strategy or thing. I think again, people get lost in the in the outcomes versus appreciating what the journey is like, you know, the the rewards are, I mean, when I've been on good teams, I mean, there's just nothing like it. And whether that's a, whether that's a rowing team or a running team, or in the case of, you know, the Strava team, I mean, you know, one of the best parts are just the people that I get to work with. And, and when we hit on something and, or, or you have a, a, again, a big customer win or you hit a milestone of some kind. um, Yeah. That's, that's when it's, that's when it's worth it. So, or you know, in the case of Strava, I mean, I could tell you story after story of you know people where we've effectively changed their lives. You know, whether it's whether it's, I mean, fascinating stories between weight loss or or, or somebody who sort of identifies that they have a a heart problem because they're tracking their activities on Strava and they're sort of they're monitoring their health and, and they realize that they need to see a doctor. I mean, it's just these little things that were totally unexpected um, that that make it worth it. So.
1: Yeah, the, the, the impact is really real. It's, it's, it's difficult to identify the impact because it's so intangible sometimes because you're so abstracted away because, you know, you have a platform, but you know, you know, people are using it, but you don't know how they're using it, how it's impacting their lives, their interactions with people. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head about the idea of sort of, you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Taking breaks in between work, whether it be taking the dog out or going for a walk, right? Having some sort of physical activity in between to really context switch and say, "Look, I I I know my life's busy, but if I don't do this now, you know, I'm not my day is going to suck." So having the opportunity to exercise or go for a small bike ride or like that really does help with your self esteem, and I think we can get into the the sort of the menta- the mindset of that. Going up and later in the conversation and yeah. you know, just circling back to sort of Strava, you know, when you knew, when you, when the had, when you had that idea of like, well, now we got to take this to the next level, you know, what did that look like? Um, not just from the brainstorming perspective, but like, okay, how do I now speak to people and then how do I get traction on what I think could be big? What was that process like?
0: Yeah. 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 So a little bit of background to set that stage and the context for it. So the first thing everybody has to remember is Michael was a PhD in economics and I was, I graduated Mm. with a degree in art history. So we can't write code. We're, we are not software developers. So if we're going to come up with an idea like Strava, the very first thing we got to do is we got to figure out if we can rope anybody in who actually knows how to put some of this stuff, you know, onto a computer or onto a phone. And, uh, so I got to give credit words too. There was, there's an amazing gentleman who he's still with us at Strava today. His name's Davey Kitchell and Davey was somebody that Michael had met out in New Hampshire where Michael was at the time that we started Strava. And, uh, Davey was an endurance athlete like Michael and I was really passionate about thinking about ways in which we could use data to kind of create stories and, and inspire. And, um, He and I, Michael was working on one idea because we weren't sure which idea we were going to pursue. So Michael and his nephew, Pella, were working on one idea. uh, And this was around sort of water conservation and so forth. And then Davey and I were working on the Strava idea. And when I say working on, you're right. A lot of it was we had some We had this theory that there was a lot of data being captured by some of these very basic devices, either worn on your wrist or on your handlebars of a bike, you know, a Garmin device. But people were treating that data almost like circa 1980 Timex watch. They were really just start, stop, how far did I go, how fast did I go, and that was it. Yet there was a little mini computer that was sitting there that was capturing all kinds of information around, you know, grade and elevation and and average speed and heart rate and could we bring that information together and create visuals that maybe were interesting for somebody after they had gone for a ride? We were very focused on the cyclist at the time because they had access to this data. And Davey built a website. Again, this is, you have to go back. This is 2007, 2008 now, 2009. He, he built a very basic website. We called it the green machine because it was this horrific color of green that we were contemplating as sort of the Strava colors.
1: Oh, so it wasn't and- originally orange.
0: Yeah, we ultimately came up with orange. Thank goodness for orange. That was another person who helped us on that. But at the time, we had this crazy green, and uh, with that, he threw everything but the kitchen sink into it. We had, we probably had features in that first website that still haven't made it to commercial, uh, you know, Strava life today. But in doing that, he created just enough of a basic little platform, that true MVP, right? That minimally viable experience. And then we just started conning, honestly, a few of our friends to try uploading their Garmin data to Strava. Again, this is back in a time when you had to take a Garmin off of your bike, plug it into the back of your computer, upload it and do it. So I often joke with with entrepreneurs in the early days, do things that don't scale. Right. If you're going to you know, walk away with it, it's like people want to focus on scale and, and network effects early on. We were focused on one thing if we had. One person uploading to Strava, could we get them to come back and do it again? You know, are we creating enough utility and enough value there? And kudos to Davey. He kind of just kept tinkering with this website. And that led to a a pivotal summer of 2008 where we actually brought about 20 of our closest friends, uh, about half were on the East Coast, half were on the West Coast. We brought them on to Strava in a competition. We basically put East Coast up against West Coast. Hey, would you guys do this for thirty days? It was right during the Tour de France in two thousand eight, and we would send out little emails every day saying, "Hey, whoever posts the fastest, you know, five k on their bike, you know, we'll get them a, we'll get them a pair of socks, or you know, we'll give them some racing wheels, or whatever, whatever we could afford." And we said, and in return, we'd love to get feedback. We'd love to sort of see if you guys are enjoying this process. And you know, we were fortunate, Barry. By the end of that thirty days, we really saw a couple things. We saw a high energy people were not just willing to upload, they wanted to upload. They wanted to sort of see what they were experiencing. And we were also really surprised by the amount of interaction between the cyclists online. I think we hadn't anticipated that there was sort of this social component to Strava where by allowing the kind of, you know, at the time of sort of this trash talking and this interaction that was going on, even by email, not even on the platform, we realized, ah, oh, you know, this there's something to this. There's something about sharing your activities with other people that keeps you motivated. So that experience in the summer of 2008 was the catalyst for Michael and I saying, we're not quite sure what the business looks like, but there's something here. You know, we're, we're solving a problem we're, we're, we're hitting on a need. Let's, let's get some professional developers behind us. We had some good friends uh, that we knew we had known from our prior company that were willing to join us. And, uh, Away we went. You know, by early 2009, we had a small team and we were beginning to build something that we could we could charge for.
1: Uh, I want to quickly just go back to something you said initially. I know that it was very nuanced, but I think it was so profound. Is the idea of not thinking about scale at such an early stage? I think a lot of VCs or investors they always say, you know, how are you going to scale? How are you going to scale? Yes, I think scale does matter at some point, but but not when you're starting out in the trenches, not when you're just testing out the idea and getting that MVP running. And I think the the whole notion of satisfying the consumer at the end of the day, and I think obviously this has been a uh, uh, something that Amazon has done and a lot of other companies have done, is how do you just get them satisfied and get them, retain them? so that they can continue to use the product. And in this case, it was, well, I like the Strava. I was seeing where I went and what I did, and I want to do it again. And I get to share that. And I think it just gets into this nice uh, flywheel effect. So I, I just wanted to sort of segue into that because I think that's a really important point uh, for people just to say, look, don't worry about scale. Just get people to love your product.
0: Uh, it's... It's so true. You know how many people, they always ask me, you know, so today Strava adds anywhere from a million to 2 million members every month. You know, we're incredibly fortunate. We have this very nice flywheel effect, and our members just keep inviting their mm. friends to join. That's not how we started. Like, I still remember, you know, customer number one, the first customer that truly was our customer was paying subscription to everybody else. His name is David. He lives in the Bay Area. He's still on Strava 13 years later. I know who he is. You know, we still kudo each other. And I remember number one, and I remember number two, and I remember number three. I I remember the single digits, uh, because that was the thesis: was if you don't have utility, if you're not, if you don't, you know, all these horrible buzzwords, product market fit, and so. But fundamentally, if you're not engaging with your customer and they're not coming back, in the case of a product like ours, where we're hopeful that they're seeing enough value that they're going to use it uh, on a frequent basis, why spend any time thinking about growth and scale? And I think people there is real pressure oftentimes from investors and others to kind of think about that next chapter. And I'm not dismissing it to your point. There's a point at where scale becomes important, but I could tell you all kinds of funny stories of, I mean, Michael and I, we went down to Costco at one point and we bought hundreds of Garmin devices for the sheer purpose of like handing them out to friends just so that we could get more people onto the platform. And, you know, and it was kind of like begging, Hey, just, just try this. Will you try, it? if we give you a Garmin device to use, would you try it out? And, but it worked because not only did they use it, they started giving us the feedback we needed to kind of refine the experience. And they started giving us some critical pieces of information that really helped us think about how to make it a business and what they were willing to pay for. And, uh, what was that
1: reaction like when you were in a Costco and you bought all those Garmin devices? Did they give you scared? <laughs>
0: so many horror stories we could tell you so many horror stories first off garmin is garmin themselves they're, they're a wonderful partner of ours today but in the early days of strava i don't think they knew what to do with us and we tried to get a retail relationship with them and you know we think we can help resell product they didn't want to disrupt you know their traditional retailer. so we had to go and find these things and so uh, kudos to michael because he was the one really tracking stuff down we would we would get on the phone with Costco managers, frankly, across the country. And if we could find that there'd been a shipment, hey, we'll take, you know, we'll take 50 of those Garmin 300s that, you know, people put on their handlebars and, uh, and they'd ship them to us. We, but I also have horror stories of eBay sellers that we tried to buy from and like, Oh yeah, yeah we got a hundred of them for you. And then we try to buy them and we'd send a check and we never saw those Garmin's. So, you know, it's, it, and that these, this is part of the story, right? This is the, again, you, you, you win and you lose, but, um, no, it it, it speaks know, it to the like some customers to, um, we needed people. I think sometimes entrepreneurs worry too much about trying to get the product just mm. right. So they want to put it in the hands of somebody. Right. It's software. And in software it's like we wanted to get it in front of people as quickly as possible so that we could then iterate. We could, we could kind of use that feedback loop as a way to, you know, just keep refining, keep fine tuning and, and find that sweet spot.
1: Uh, well, I think one, it speaks to the nature of building a company and it goes back and again, look, you know, it's tough, it's hard, but it's rewarding. But so you have to actually have boots on the ground, you gotta actually make calls, you call, you gotta to speak to people, you gotta be resourceful at the end of the day, and you gotta figure out ways to you know, if you could say a no, well maybe it's not a no for now, but you know, it'll be a yes, or I could find a way to circumvent that in any way. And so figuring out those little intricacies and meandering your way. Um, I think that becomes really important, uh, for people to figure out, well, how do I make this work? You know, and because I feel like there's, there's something there and that, that speaks to the, the whole journey that you had with Costco and all of the, uh, people that you're trying to get the garments for and, and all that stuff. So, and yeah, look, you know, I think it's really important to sort of point that out. So with the, you know, once you got those, sh- good critical mass of like, okay, well I have all of our buddies now using it and we have they've we've given them garments. What happened next? You know, how did you get to yeah. the point where what's the next stages of fundraising? Do we just continue to get more people within our community and, and grow it organically? What was that growth like?
0: Yeah. Yeah, great question. So I'll give you a couple key milestones that sort of happen along the way that you know, I'd love to say, hey, in hindsight, we knew exactly what we were doing. But, you know, again, this is classic entrepreneur. So one critical milestone, uh, we learned something really valuable. So so part of what we did when we launched Strava was we went after one very specific target audience, and that was the the cyclist. In fact, it was the road cyclist. And people think it was because Michael and I were, you know, big roadies and, and spent all of our time on the, on the bike. Not really. Michael's a Michael's a good cyclist. I enjoy my mountain biking, but both of us are primarily runners and, and rowers versus cycling. But we liked that as a go-to market strategy because the cyclists weren't really being served much on the internet. Whereas you could find products for runners, they were addicted to their data. They, I mean, everything from power meters to heart rate to wattage to uh, uh, you know thinking about their climbs and everything. So we like that. And what we learned very quickly was when a cyclist goes out for a ride, it doesn't matter whether they're doing a 100-mile ride or a 10-mile ride. There's usually some piece of that ride that's really, really important, some climb that they're going to do. Uh, in the Bay Area, it would be something like Hawk Hill or Old Bahanda, are these sort of iconic climbs that people like to go out and challenge themselves on. And the cyclists kept telling us over and over, that's, if you could show me how I'm doing on that climb, that would be really interesting. And so Davey, to his credit, was like, oh, I think we can do that. We can pull that out of the data. We can show them their, their segment, what became Strava segments. Well, as soon as we did that, our members then started to say to us, hey, this is awesome. I love being able to see my performance. Can I see how my buddy did yesterday? And Could I compare sort of my segment performance versus them? And so you began – that was really the beginnings of leaderboards on Strava and the ability to do segment comparisons – But the reason that's important for the business was we now had a really valuable reason why our customers wanted to invite their friends to join Strava. And so without any marketing now, we started to begin to see this network effect. We started to see all of our friends saying, Hey, you know, you got to join Strava and you got to come on so we can compare how we're doing. And it was a really fascinating, that, that happened in our first year getting that feature live. And so by the, let's see, by end of 2010, we were probably sitting there with approximately four to five thousand cyclists, uh, all organic. Um, we had a subscription service um, that was usage based. So basically, you could use Strava for free for five times a month, but on the sixth time, you had to pay us. And because our cyclists were so addicted to Strava, we had this huge conversion rate on on subscription. Uh, and so at that point, we were sort of saying, "Wow, you know, we're growing organically really well, and we're getting this good conversion rate." If we put some real dollars behind this and actually started thinking about marketing and growing it in a more professional way, basically raising some capital, you know, would that would that be wise? And we went out and tested the the investment market a bit. We we looked at maybe an angel round, and and ultimately we actually did a venture round. A good friend of ours who worked at one of the firms got his partners excited, and, and so we raised from a firm called Sigma at the time. They're now called Jackson Square Ventures, and we did our Series A, and it was. It was just, it was on opportunity. You know, it was this opportunity to to see if we could, you know, capture a market that was presented to us. Uh, So those were the milestones. It was kind of that organic growth along with the strong subscription rates and really predicated on just, you know, some simple features that really started to drive this high engagement rate that we were talking about earlier. You know, get the engagement before you worry about growth.
1: That's uh, really important because I – Um, you know, now I think there's again this, this notion of like, well, if you're venture backed, you won, you know, you're doing some good stuff. And, but that's not necessarily the case because in this day and age, everyone wants to get VC backing for their own reasons, but it's, it's not necessarily traditionally, that's not what venture capital is for. It's, it's when you get to a point where you need to actually have injection to scale and you actually grow your team. But I'm sure Strava would have just done fine, obviously much slower if it would have bootstrapped itself. I think the VC just accelerated that even more to get Strava in front of more on more phones, in front of more eyeballs, as quickly as possible. And so there's something to be said about the notion of why venture capital exists. And not every company has to receive venture capital so you know it's in your perspective working with michael and and sort of the team you know you really thought about long and hard whether this was supposed to be venture backed or not because and there were certain key decisions in that process to figure out well you have the traction you have the growth but what's the roadmap going to look like and i yeah. think it, it take it really resonates with me, but also, um, a lot of other people that I've spoken to is that you just don't need to have VC if you don't have to have it. And there are certain points, um, when that actually does become the need.
0: No, Barry, you're spot on. I, I think it's, and again, uh, I know for somebody who's basically grown up my adult life here in the Bay area, you can quickly sort of think that the only way companies can grow or thrive is if they have venture funding, when in fact, if you just move 50 miles away from Silicon Valley, you realize that the, you know, 99.9 percent of companies in the world don't have access to venture capital, never did get it, and somehow they they did very well. So you you laugh. There's a there's actually a case study now that's taught both at, at Harvard and Stanford Business Schools and maybe some of the others, where the case study is about Strava and about our decision as to whether or not we should raise the venture money or just maybe some angel money, but uh, or just keep bootstrapping, and. Every time I just guessed at the class and, and listened to the students, all the dudes, students are like, they shouldn't take the money. They, they, you know, the business is good. They shouldn't do it. And, of course, you know the story. We end up taking the money. and But they're kind of right. There was not a right or wrong there. You know, I don't think Michael and I have ever looked back with regret. We've had we've had really great investment partners. Um, you know, we've got the likes of Jackson Square Vendors, who I mentioned, or Sequoia Capital or TCB. I mean, we've got some some great firms behind us. But it did set us on a path that you know required then you know a different mindset. Now, now you've now you do have um, I don't want to say requirements for some kind of growth, but uh, the capital's there. It's it's there to be invested. So let's let's go see if we can build something interesting. And that's in Strava's case. Yeah, no regret. It was it was worth it. But.
1: Let's quickly talk about your co-founder very briefly, um, Michael. And the reason I bring him up is because there's a lot of people out there who are single co-founders. Um, they maybe want to find someone else or maybe they just have the skills to do everything themselves. But how important is it to have a co-founder? Is it important? Is it not important? You know. And how did Michael um, help you uh, and you help Michael mutually uh, to get through this? You know, Not just from a building the business perspective, but from, you know, being a friend there and making sure that there's support and making sure that, you know, you're pushing each other to be the best that you can be. How important is that to you?
0: Yeah. Boy, Barry, you're getting to the, just the heart of, I think, entrepreneurship and, and what we, you know, what we're about. And, and, and and I will fully test Michael and I are probably a little bit of an anomaly. We're, we're, you know, we're 30 plus years in as business partners. We've got two companies that we've founded together behind us. We've been really fortunate with both of them uh, to, you know, to just have them do as well as they have. Uh, so, so I have a bias. I'll, I'll start by the outset. It's like, I can't imagine starting a company without some kind of co-founder, you know, preferably Michael, and if not Michael. It's going to be, I've got twin boys that are now juniors in college and I keep joking with them. It's like, come on, you got to graduate just so we can, let's go found something together. So I'm a, I'm a big believer. What I would say is, there's, there's something here that's really important. I don't know that it's as important to have a co-founder as it is to appreciate the importance of a team. Like you, it is, an entrepreneurship and starting something can be very lonely. It can be, it's just, and, and I remember the first time I did this, 1995, like I quit my job working for the venture firm. I went to work at a local running store, making eight bucks an hour just to put food on the table. I was recently married. I've been married for all of six months. Uh, And so, and I remember that what I would do was I would move from this little cottage that I was in uh, where we lived to this tiny little storage shed that my landlord had. He allowed me to basically rent like half the storage shed so I could set up a little office. And my wife at the time, Lisa, she would laugh because she could see me sitting out there sometimes. She was sure I was just twiddling my thumbs because you're, you're desperate to try to get something started, but what do you, what, you know, on any given day, there's only so much you can do. There's only so many calls you can make. There's only so many people. And so I I spent a lot of time recruiting teammates, recruiting co-founders. Um, and, you know, thankfully, Michael was there. He was there in the mid-90s. He was at, at Stanford, and he was willing to listen to all my crazy ideas. And I would joke that he was the one guy who had a fast Internet back in 1995, so he was a good partner that way. But really what it was was just that person that I think what you're describing, somebody that uh, – You can be candid with, you can be transparent. There's, um, you can lean. I mean, Michael and I, if you look at our course in Strava, he and I have both been CEO twice. Uh, I started as CEO, it made sense because I'd run the other company. It was going to be California based. So I ran it, but then I had some family situation come up and I needed him to take over. And thank goodness he did. And he did that for gosh, four years. And then he had a family situation arise in in late 2013. And so I was in a position to step in and and run the company for the next three to four years. Um, You know, it's, you know, just having trust in someone like that, having someone who compliments you. I think this is why I always think about the team. I mean, we're different. I mean, Michael, again, he's a PhD in economics. He uh, He is brilliant. He is the smarter of the two of us. I mean that wholeheartedly. Um, he understands the numbers of a business in a way that, that goes right past me. Um, uh, but then there's things I bring to the table, uh, that, um, you know, we, we found over time we compliment each other. So I'm a huge fan of people going out and finding teammates for their companies, whether they're going to be a co-founder and so forth. And I think the trick is, you know, go look for those skills that you don't have, um,
1: I, is that about saying,
0: As an entrepreneur, that is your job, by the way. Your job is not to be the best salesperson or the best marketing person or the best engineer or the best product person. That is not your job. Your job is to have the idea and inspire the best marketing person, salesperson, developer to join you. And so, you know, same thing with a co-founder. It's like no reason finding another version of you. Go find somebody that complements, you know, what you're not good at. That's when good things happen.
1: Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about the, the energy and the spirit of that person. It's not just having the skill set to do so, but do they believe in ID? Do they resonate with the mission that you're creating? And as you mentioned, right? You know, yes, you have to um, build the company, but you have to sort of paint a clear vision and provide clarity of where you want to go. And that's going to inspire the next, you know, you've, you're the, the, onboarding of the new employees and they can hopefully onboard their friends and their networks onto onto the company as well and, and get this nice uh, chain reaction going.
0: That's right. You're, you're 100% right. I will take hunger and passion all day long over you know 10 years of experience. Uh, people can learn the skills. Uh, we can go find people to teach us stuff. But if you don't believe in the mission, it's, it's really hard to stay motivated.
1: Let's quickly just dive into... You know, building companies hard. I think we've acknowledged that, and I think that the journey you've been on is also very interesting. But it wouldn't be interesting without understanding a little bit about some of those hardest moments that you've gone through. You've mentioned a few of them, not so much hard, but a lot of hustling that you had to do. But once Strava got to a point where a good number of people were using it, um, there was the team was growing. Uh, you're getting presence in the US at, at least, you know, and and starting to think about international. But were there any hiccups or any roadblocks in the way that you can vividly remember that say, "Look, to the point where I'm, I can't sleep properly at night, or this is bothering me, or I'm feeling anxious about this," um, because it it speaks true to sort of the journey of of the founder. And I'd, I'd like to learn a bit more about whether it be you or Michael, um, yeah. or both of you. Um, What are some of those tough moments that you went through?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll give you two quick ones that are a little different, but kind of the same thing. I just, uh, so my short answer, by the way, is yes, they happen all the time, right? That's, and in part what Michael and I've even talked actively about this. In fact, at one point we had a whiteboard and we were talking about how we needed to manage the way in which we would react to the ups and downs of of startup life, of and, and it's, when I say startup, we're 13 years in, and it's still sort of the the ups and downs of just growing a business. Um, and we've come to realize that the things are going to happen. It's how we decide to respond to them. It's our own emotional ups and downs that we can control. So that's when I say we went to a whiteboard. At one point, we just drew a sine wave and said, "Hey, instead of reacting like this, let's let's try to react more like this." Uh, and so you'll, you'll find two guys who are maybe a little grizzled and veteran-like and, and don't get too high or too low with anything nowadays. But here's two examples. Early days, probably the first within the first three years of our existence, we had a really difficult situation where there was a wrongful death lawsuit uh, that was uh, filed against Strava. Uh, we were accused of basically being an event organizer. Um, unfortunately, a, a Strava member had, had died. They had been descending a, a hill on their bicycle They'd crossed over a double yellow line going too fast and and they ran into a car and they died. And uh, shortly before the statute of limitations ran out, uh, the parents of this 41 year old uh, sued Strava and said that, you know, we were the cause of his death. That's that's difficult. That's it's almost existential in the sense of. Boy, the last thing we were trying to do was to create either a dangerous situation for others or, or you know, in, in any way sort of impede someone's someone's livelihood. The whole idea of Strava is to to keep people healthy. Um, so we ended up, you know, defending ourselves vigorously on that. And, and ultimately, the case was thrown out and, and so forth. But I tell you that story just because who would have predicted that when we started Strava to be this this really positive, powerful force that. You know, there'd be some people out there who would look at it very differently. And we've seen that a couple of times. We've seen that through that. We we had another situation where we were accused of uh, exposing, you know, uh, military bases. That turned out to be false. That was a classic example of a fake news story. But but it it created a lot of tension because we had to really look at sort of, are we? Are we actually doing something that is putting people at harm? And, and you know, we clearly work closely with the government and military to ensure that we don't. But... Um, even, even fake news, the perception becomes reality. So, so those have, those have been there along the way. I would caution any entrepreneur that, uh, you know, don't be surprised that, uh, you know, that have the unexpected happen. I would say the more recent one, Barry, that I think is more attuned to maybe what naturally happens with a lot of companies. We found ourselves in 2019 in a situation where we'd hired a new CEO. We'd brought a CEO in about two and a half years earlier, um, uh, as a succession plan, he was just in a situation. I was in a situation where I really could not keep running the business. I, I just had family obligations. And so I wanted to step back into the chairman role. We hired this person and no regret. And, and you know, I have a lot of respect for the, the gentleman who we hired, um, but the company just found itself in a difficult place. It wasn't working. And it, again, was almost existential. I mean, it was really in a place where financially we were in a very bad hole. Strategically, uh, it, it was unclear where we were going, and so we we replaced him. Michael and I stepped back in. Michael stepped in as CEO. I stepped in as executive chairman, and we had to do the unfortunate thing of letting go of about fifteen percent of the team at the time. We needed to stabilize the company. Um, that that was hard, like that, and and I can appreciate it's happened a lot here in the valley in recent years, um, and you know particularly this last year and a half. I fully own, like, nobody wants to let go of their existing team. Um, but did we learn some lessons? 100%. Um, you know, would I ever say I was glad we had to go through it? No. But you, you, the resolve that you get, uh, learning how to go through that, understand sort of what that means, not only for the folks we had to let go and, and how to do that properly. I think there is the importance of sort of the means to the end is very important. Um, and sort of learning that, but also the team that remains, and you know how to how to inspire them and circle the wagons, and, and what happened there. So, just two examples. I mean, I could go on ad nauseum about both of those, but if anything, if anybody takes away, it's just like it happens, you know, in these companies, and and you, you got to roll with it.
1: And uh, yeah, and no, that the last thing you said about the layoffs that speak true to exactly what's happening now, and. And yeah, I mean, it's tough for anyone who's sort of in those situations for both sides, you know, the, the employee, but also uh, the person who has to make the decision. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not a person, it's not a personal, I want to say. It's obviously, it's, you know, it's for the benefit of hopefully the, the business thriving for the betterment of people being able to use, to continue to use the product and live their best lives. And, and I think at the same time, it's always hard to go through those types of, uh, Decision making processes. And you mentioned, you, know, you mentioned that sine wave again. it very resonates with me a lot about the idea, like this notion of being, um, of having equanimity. You know, just stay in your sweet spot. If it gets too high, don't get too excited. But even if it gets really low, and you know, stay, stay above water and, and be able to, um, you know, figure things out with, with your co founder. Were there any moments where you, you felt like, I don't think, you know, this is it. This is it for Strava. I don't think we can continue anymore. Or was it like, no, this, we'll fight through this. And there was that sort of that growth, growth mindset. What what was going through your head during those types of moments?
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. And and maybe this is a little bit of hindsight where it's it's much easier to, to stomach. I'll go back to that sort of endurance mentality. Um, I don't ever remember thinking like, Oh, this is it. Uh, I do think that, um, you know, I have this funny line, uh, you know, I often like to tell entrepreneurs, you know, one of the beauties of software is you just can't kill it. Like, it's it's really hard to kill software companies. You know, we make a mistake, we can roll the feature back. Uh, you know, there's there's a way, you know, if you have something that people are willing to pay for, like you, you should be able to do it. So I don't think that we've ever been in a situation where, oh, my, you know, is this the last day that the office is going to be open and we're going to have to shut it down? It's never felt like that. I think it's more it's a little more nuanced in that are we living up to our own expectations? Are we are we are we delivering on the opportunity? Are we and that's you know, I think of three important constituents here. I think about our members, the people who are using Strava every Day, our community, and, and are we living up to what they're expecting from us? Our employees and the team, you know, are we creating an environment there? And and our shareholders, you know, our investors and the people who've put our faith in us through their dollars. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night. Those three, it's not that they have, you know, wild expectations, but just sometimes it's hard to, to meet everybody's expectations as you're trying to build.
1: Uh, Ah, that's uh, that totally makes sense. And probably a good segue to sort of go into a bit about the mental health side of things. And, you know, definitely it's not, it's not, uh, it's getting more popular now. The idea of being able to be more transparent about, um, mental health, especially, uh, in a very high paced, um, high stressed environment, uh, how do you deal with, um, sort of problems, not just in in the, on, on the Strava side or on the business side, but personally, like if there's, you know, you mentioned there were a few family issues in the past and having to deal, juggle that with work, building a company and, and sort of taking care of your family, you know, what's your escape? Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you, one of your answers will be exercise, which is always a good thing. Um, how much has exercise, has going out on a run, going for a hike helped your state of mind?
0: I, it's, I can't even measure it. Like that, that to me, 30 minutes of fresh air uh, thrown on the running shoes and, and going, you know, slower and slower as the years go by. But nonetheless, it really isn't about the physical fitness. It is, it's about clearing my head. It's about getting some, some clarity around a challenge that I have. So I, I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to promote Strava. I really don't think there's a, a better elixir, a better solution in the world to sort of just clicking in. Than, and you can do it with a walk. You can do it with a run. You can do it with a ride. You can do it with a hike. But there's something for me about being outdoors, uh, you know, disconnecting and and doing that. So that's that is solution number one. Without question. Um, You know, I think, Barry, the other thing, I mean, and and at times Strava's, you know, this has been a blessing and a curse, but you have to understand at Strava we've had something called the ABCs almost since inception from day one. We, We had, we formalized them about three or four years into the business, but the ABCs are our core values. There's an A, a B, and three Cs. Actually, there's two A's. I should be, I should be clear. There was originally an A, a B, and three Cs, authenticity, balance and then craftsmanship, camaraderie, and commitment. Uh, In 2020, we added an important other A to our ABCs, and that's anti-racism because we felt like that was something that we were not paying attention to, and we realized we were part of the problem rather than the solution. So two A's, a B, and a a three C's. For the sake of this conversation, the one that I'll talk about is balance because balance is a, a tricky one, balance and commitment. I remember having a conversation with one of our CFOs at Strava one day, and he's like, we can't have balance and commitment. They, you know, they, they're at odds with each other. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course we can. It's just that balance doesn't happen every day. And frankly, to be committed, they're one and the same uh, because you should be committed to ensuring that you're in this in, in a sustainable way. And so for me, thinking about balance, the best example I can give you, there was a time in my career when I had the best job in the world. I was running Strava. I was the CEO of Strava from, again, 2014. 2016, 2017. But I had, a, I had a hard thing going on, which was that I was the primary parent. I was a single parent with, with twin boys. Um, and I needed to be present for them. And I just couldn't figure out how to be in both places at the same time. And that was when we opted to bring in a new CEO and go down that path. And that's part of, I think, what you're talking about. I just had to make some hard choices around where, um, you know, what was most important. And no regret, you know, I've got two amazing kids that now at this point, they're they're long gone and I probably have more time to spend on Strava these days. But I think that that's, you know, for building great companies, that's the other thing is that they shouldn't be dependent on any one individual. There's a great book out there, Built to Last by Jim Collins. It was written again years and years ago. It talks about, you know, time tellers versus clock builders as entrepreneurs. And clock builders were sort of the, the Hewlett Packers of the world where that company existed, you know, thirty years after they'd passed away. You know, that that's what inspires Michael and I. Strava Strava should last long beyond, you know, even Michael and I being on this planet if we're successful. So a big part of this is just to kind of have that mindset that you know we gotta play in this for the long game.
1: Speaking true to um, sort of the Strava I guess the sort of the slogan of Strava as well as look, you know, you should go out there because it's helped me as well, uh, go through some tough times as well. And being able to, you know, whenever I, I sort of go out there, log the run, log the ride, um, you know, it does clear my head a lot. And yeah. I think that we've always the said
0: things- there's, there's always time for a ride or a run. And, and we really mean that. And, and, but I think it's, and look, can people, um, take advantage of that? You know, have, have we maybe had teammates where, you know, they seem to spend more of their time working out than they do, you know. Maybe deliver, maybe you know. I can't think of anybody offhand, but it can be taken advantage of in any company. And, you know that, but that's that's not the ethos. The ethos is, what's our goal? What do we need to get accomplished? Sometimes we got to burn the midnight oil because there's something we got to get done now. But, and, you know, again, anybody who's been through athletics, there's these there's these cycles you have to go through. If you're going to go race a marathon. You're not going to go and just race it tomorrow, nor are you going to go try to do two in a row. You're going to you're going to have a plan and you're going to build up, build up, build up to the moment, and then you're going to have to recover. And I think that that's those are the kind of cycles that that companies have to go through as well. And so that's that's part of what we try to build into Strava, sometimes better than others.
1: uh, Yeah, and I think that definitely uh, resonates uh, with a lot of people. And, you know, thinking about sort of the future of Strava, how do you. how do you envision that? I know that you're now, obviously you and Michael have sort of uh, tagged him quite a bit throughout the journey of Strava, but it'd be interesting to see about, you know, you, you recently introduced video. And when I, mean, I say recent, probably like last year, um, which is, which was fun because i now you're starting to see a lot of, you know, you now you can re- record, uh, Zwift, Zwift sessions. You can just show people, um, you know, where you are in the world. You know, when you start to thinking about new features like that, um, you know, how do you, how do you decide on, you know, I'm sure you have a a laundry list of things that could be introduced into Java. I'm sure a lot of your employees, even the community is saying add this, add that. Um, but how do you filter through all of that?
0: Probably not as well as we'd like. I mean, the, you know, the honest answer is it's still a work in progress inside Strava. I often refer to it as the noise of opportunity. There are just a million great ideas, and they come in from our own team, from our community, from our investors. You, know, you name it, everybody's got an idea for what the next feature should be or the next iteration. And, frankly, we have so many features today that just trying to actually – Maintain and evolve them. Video is the perfect example. You're right. We launched about a year and a half ago. We've been really pleased with the up, uptick and you know people's ability to kind of tell their story, you know, their athletic story via video. But we're the first to acknowledge it. It still feels like video circa you know 2015 on Instagram. I, as I said, we've you know we need to keep nurturing that and making it better. Simultaneously, there's 1,700 other features that we're either trying to get out or improve. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. We have an amazing product team and engineering team. Um, there's a gentleman right now, actually, uh, just quietly, he's kind of on an interim basis here because we're going through some executive changes. Michael's announced that he will be stepping down, so we're looking for a new CEO. So, you know, that CEO will have to to build out the team that they want. But we do have a gentleman right now. His name is Misha, who uh, was the founder and uh, CEO at FatMap, actually one of the companies that we acquired recently, and he's leading a lot of our overall sort of Strava product initiatives as we go into 2023 and it's just been really fun to have Misha's eyes and ears and on the on the process because i think that you know he he knows Strava really well but he knows it from the outside and and he knows Fatmap and uh just it's been great to watch that so lots of new stuff that's coming uh lots of improvements to the existing experience uh, we get really excited this time of year cuz this is right when everybody starts to get back outside and doing their things, particularly here in the Northern hemisphere. Um, But, but I will tell any entrepreneur out there, it's an art, not a science. Like it's, it's, it's tricky.
1: With the, um, I know you mentioned, yeah, the the looking up for a new CEO. I think it was, it's, it's sort of being those, that news is spreading right now. Uh, You know, who are you, looking for and what was the reason for sort of that Michael to step back and and I think you've done this in the past as well um is it more so a fresher perspective on on what Strava could be down the road and and if so what is your vision for Strava for the next 10 years you know is it going to be um is it still going to be a platform for all of us to use um to track everything and to share stories and or is it becoming more of a brand now and then taking Strava to become, okay, well, how does Strava become the next Nike or the next Adidas, you know, especially in the sporting right. world? What does that look like for you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I can short, I, you know, just quickly answer sort of the why behind Michael's transition. Cause there's, there's nothing, uh, there actually, he's been pretty public about it. He's put out some blog posts and, and so forth. It's nothing more than, you go back to I, I talked about a hard moment back in 2019 when he and I had to step back in, you know, that wasn't something that he had anticipated, wasn't something that he wanted or was like, you know, searching for. And so he's done a pretty Herculean job in the last three years of navigating Strava through through this place where we were in a difficult position as a company, then to navigate us through COVID, to navigate us through, frankly, a lot of the social issues that have faced this country have been a big part of any company in the last couple of years. Uh, he's got us to an amazing place where we 're now you know we're we're growing exceptionally well we 're profitable uh we 're well financed we 've got an amazing investor group behind us we 've got this stellar team that uh, is is you know working well and so I think from michael 's perspective, you know is there somebody now, given that the company is you know we're we're four hundred and fifty employees we're you know we 're generating hundreds of millions in revenue who's that person who is very familiar or at least has seen the playbook for the next three or four years? Because that's not something that's in Michael and I are in our DNA. We're, we're startup guys. We, necessarily, we haven't taken companies to a billion in revenue uh, and sort of seen that scale. Remember, we talked about scale earlier. We do things that don't scale. But, you know, frankly, maybe now's the time to be investing in teams and infrastructure that allow us to do some of the scale work that needs to happen in order for Strava to thrive which I think gets to your second question, which is really, where do we want it to go? One of the fun things about Strava is that we may be 13 years old, but we truly feel like we're just scratching the surface around what's possible. And I would think of Strava as a a um, – it is very much a global platform from which we want to be able to support not just the community of athletes, but also all those companies and services and apps that – also serve the same community that we are. Um, And we have over 100,000 API partners today. Um, We have the, you know, Nike's got, I think Nike has 100 clubs on Strava today. We want these companies, Zwift that you described earlier, great example of a great partner. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, sort of this online sort of virtual community that you can go and cycle in. um, You know, tremendous partner that, we wanna continue to understand how do we build the kinds of tools and services that enable our community to connect in with those products in a seamless way. And, you know, in doing so, allow them to thrive. Uh, And I'm not just talking about the partners, but ultimately it's our shared customer, it's that athlete that thrives. So for Strava, we'll keep expanding. We'll keep, we would love to keep adding members to the community, uh, keep thinking about the activities they like to do and how they want to share those activities, you know, keep them inspired. And then can we also, continue to be a platform for the overall health of the community, community being both the partners and the athletes in a way that, uh, that people are successful. That to me is a fun challenge over the next four or five years for Strava.
1: In the sense that there's definitely a lot of, a lot of directions where Strava can go. Uh, and what I see is the, the, the notion of like, well, how do you make that right decision of, well, becoming that a well-known brand, having that community part of it, as well, and I think Strava is really there to really bring people together, um, really bring as many like-minded folks and and maybe unlike-minded folks to, to, to a platform where you know it's not just about running or cycling anymore. It's more about community and 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 making sure how do you build something that's going to last, as what you just mentioned uh, before about sort of giving the reins or sort of passing the baton on to someone else who can see sort of the vision uh, for next and then hopefully you'll be there to sort of guide them along yeah. the way as well and I think that's yeah, really important
0: uh, Michael and I don't intend to go anywhere we, we've got nothing else to do we're, you know we're, we're, I don't think we've got another startup in us so we want to stay engaged but I think we can do it in a way that's that's helpful to the new CEO and, and uh, you know play that role so that that's what's exciting to us.
1: Let's so finish quickly off with uh, just a couple of things that I usually ask is from you know people like yourself, entrepreneurs, founders, is a bit about the tips and advice you can offer young budding founders, people who are sort of coming through the ranks, maybe just going through college or maybe just starting to think about doing their own thing. Is there anything you can speak to about certain advice you can give to them? And this could be around discipline or could be around, you know, consistency. Um, you know, any words of advice where you can sort of give them a bit of kick in the right direction based on, on what you've been through with Michael and, and building Strava.
0: Yeah. I tell you what, Barry, I'll give you, I'll give you two. Uh, Uh, Here, I'll give you, I'll give you three. I'll give you three. There's fun little phrases. So first one I'll give, these are no particular order. So one phrase I use all the time, speed over greed. So entrepreneurs get caught up in this whole thing of like trying to protect their nest egg and and like they get into fundraising and what's the right valuation. Like, look, if you find the right partner and as long as they're treating you fairly, speed over greed, go. And I think that this is true in general. Like again, speed being decisive, even if you're wrong, is generally 10 times better than sitting around hoping for the perfect amount of information to make the perfect decision. So I'm just, you know, speed over greed is kind of this notion around both from an investment perspective, but also just decision-making. It's go because by making the decisions, you'll iterate more quickly. So that's one thought. Second that I would give you is, um, I would just tell entrepreneurs, don't be afraid of the niche. I've had two companies now where I was accused by investors of not building companies, barely building products, basically building features. And yet in both cases, the first one we took public in, in 1998, 99, you know, had a market cap of 11 billion, yet at the, the, I can tell you series A, I had a lot of people turn me down. It was like, this is, this is not a company, this is a feature. And it was because we were trying to solve a very specific problem, customer email management, how to respond to customer email. In Strava's case we got the same thing. You guys are a hobby, you're a niche, you you know you're just trying to serve cyclists. And we kept trying to explain to people, look, that is a go-to-market strategy. We're going to go an inch wide, mile deep with this one group. But if we do that right, that will give us the leverage to expand more effectively. It'll give us the confidence and the credibility to expand. And so our vision is to support a global community of athletes across lots of activities and countries and, you know, types of individuals, but we have to start somewhere. So I would just remind entrepreneurs, it's okay if you're niche. It's much better because you can develop traction there. And then I'll give you the last one I'll give you. I always joke about the three Ps. If you're only going to remember three words on this whole podcast, three Ps, patience, persistence, and perspective. Uh, You got to have patience in entrepreneur. You got to build patience in your model because this stuff goes all left and right and goes all over the place. You got to we talked earlier Barry about just persistence and grind. You just got to keep grinding. Sometimes that's the, that's the guy who wins. And I think perspective is really important because that's where um uh, that's where you can get through the hard days, you know, just by maintaining perspective and realizing, you know, in the case of Strava, we know we're going doing something good out there. At the same time, we're not curing cancer. Like we're we're not. Sometimes maybe we should have been, but we're not. We're trying to keep people a little more active. You know, maybe running, riding, hiking just a little more than they otherwise were. And it's important to maintain perspective because if that's what we're doing, that's a good thing. Everybody can sleep at night. If if the thing breaks down for 24 hours, okay, we'll get it fixed as soon as we can, but we're going to maintain perspective. I think that's really important in entrepreneurship.
1: Wise words, and I appreciate you sort of going... And, and sort of taking me through that. And I think a lot of that resonated with me, but also uh, I know that a lot of, I've been trying to sort of espouse that to people who are um, sort of building their thing, who are struggling. And I think it's the ones who do struggle the most that they have to get this type of, uh, these, these words will help them a lot. And I hope that, you know, this will definitely get them in the right direction as well. Yeah. Um, Finally, uh, this is just a, a question that I was curious about and, and, and I'm always asking this type of question to, to people who are building things for themselves. You know, your day is kind of erratic um, and it doesn't have to be now, but back then in the in the days where you were sort of grinding it out, uh, just tell me a little bit about your daily routine. Uh, you know, you're waking up, you know, you, you're sort of uh, building the business and then you have to go back to bed, but I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in between regulate when you are sort of building a, uh, a company like Strava? You know, we will like to learn more about, you know, the time you wake up, you know, do you exercise in between the breaks you and then what time do you go to bed?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's pretty erratic. I'm not sure I've ever had the same week twice in my almost 55 years here. So, uh, well, I can, I mean, when, when really knee-deep running in Strava, I would say there were a couple of, of sort of mainstays. One, I became a big fan of the early hours. Uh, early mornings were important for me on two fronts. One, there was there would be no shower and no changing until I had gotten a workout in. even if again, even if it's just twenty minutes in the dark, that was critical. So for me, that morning workout really, really important. Um, and just also a chance. I, I do use my mornings after I've worked out. I'll use my mornings to just kind of level set across electronics, you know through email and so forth, because I know throughout the day, it's not going to happen. So morning is there, you know, my day was, thank goodness. I had this amazing assistant at the time, this woman named Hera who was, you know, critical to my success and, and, you know, kept me on the right track and no day was ever the same, but you just try to prioritize, you know, it's the trick was always, what is important versus urgent. And Michael and I ask ourselves that a lot. Is it important or is it urgent? And sometimes that urgent always gets in the way, but you really got to make sure you're focused on the important. And then as I alluded to earlier, the important thing for me as the day kind of came to an end was my primary job, which was being a parent. And I uh, having these two amazing guys, Jake and Charlie. And, you know, at times they would accuse me of being distracted. I remember many a meal where they were probably telling me about their day at school and, I wasn't hearing it because I was busy sort of processing something that had happened earlier in the day at Strava. But nonetheless, you know, home for dinner and, and, you know, whether it was at one of their sports practices or something like that. But that <clears throat> that was critical. And you're right. Then I'd stay up a little bit late and probably crane through some emails and things. But, you know, by 11 o'clock midnight, I was I was down for the count and getting ready for the next day.
1: Thank you so much for uh having the conversation with me i hope that it provides a lot of guidance and helps become a north star for a lot of people who are uh, building something for themselves and thinking of maybe i don't know maybe doing something cr- um and, and just trying to do something a bit more fulfilling for their lives and and i think the advice and sort of the story um it uh, you've told really will hopefully resonate with with them but also for me uh, i just want to thank you for building strava Um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely helped me, um, a lot over these past, uh, seven years since I started using it. And I've met a lot of amazing people, both in the U S and around the world who have, uh, who have I met on Strava and we followed each other and it's given me an opportunity to, to continue to be as healthy as I can, uh, but also be the best person that I can be. Uh, for my friends for my family as you alluded to at the beginning about you know the more you feel better about yourself uh the more you can help be a better person around other people. So thank you for and, and Michael for building Strava and you've definitely impacted a lot of lives including mine.
0: Oh very the pleasure is mine. Thank you for being a member. I'm, I'm I'm glad it's working and uh we gotta we gotta follow each other. We gotta keep inspiring each other out there.
1: Appreciate it and uh, right. uh
0: speak next time. That sounds great. Take
1: care. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. If you like this episode, be sure to check out more by subscribing to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time.